the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Morning, Glory America. Bonjour, High Canada. You hear it live in California. Talking with former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Good morning, Governor. Welcome back. Thank you for having me, Q. Governor, I've sat across the debate stage from you five times. I've interviewed you probably a hundred times. You always answer my questions. And so I'm going to start with this one. Um, If you dropped out in New Hampshire, would any Chris Christie supporters vote for Donald Trump? You know, I I will tell you this, from polling that we've done, um, there are some that would, yes. What percentage do you think is it the high watermark would go for Donald Trump? Um, In the in the last poll that we had, uh, it was about 15 percent. All right. So 85 percent. You're very strong in New Hampshire. I went down and saw you at one of your town halls, but you're staying in. I'm not the view. You're not going to put this over on me. You're staying in the primary undeniably helps Donald Trump get the election, doesn't it? Uh, No, it doesn't. Uh, The the fact is that um, we're going out. We're the only one running against Donald Trump. We're the only one trying to beat Donald Trump. No one else um, uh, in, in New Hampshire is trying to beat Donald Trump. We are. And so, uh, no, Hugh, I, I don't think that's true. Now, Governor, I, I was talking to Noah Rothman, who, like me, is a big admirer of you, and unlike me, is actually your constituent, knows your record by heart, and thought you were a great governor. But I want to quote Noah. It is simply undeniable that he is hurting Nikki Haley, and he is doing profound reputational harm to himself. I cannot understand what he is doing that is on the upside right now. How do you answer Noah? Well, first of all, you know, Noah doesn't have the first idea of what he's talking about. Um, The fact is that I'm running for president of the United States, and no one's voted yet. And I don't have an obligation to do anything other than answer questions, tell the truth, run a good campaign, and try to win. Um, And so, you know, uh, where this has become Nikki Haley's campaign when no one's voted yet, is kind of a mystery to me, Hugh. Uh, well, I, I'm not calling it, Nikki. I'm in Switzerland. I don't know whose campaign it is, but I do algebra. I used to do algebra. I'm not going to say that anymore. You might ask me something. But I, I can do math, and if Chris Christie drops out, every someone's going to benefit not named Donald Trump. Isn't that undeniable? And, and look, uh, there's, that's possible, although I think given the, the campaigns that are being run by some of the other folks, that a lot of the people are going to vote for Chris Christie in New Hampshire just won't vote. That's possible, too. But the only way Donald Trump isn't the nominee is if somebody else beats him in Iowa and or New Hampshire. I think that's just if he wins those two, he's the nominee. Is that true? Well, I'm not exactly sure about that either, because we're in unprecedented times here. Every day there's a new legal challenge for Donald Trump that's brought on by his own conduct. Um, and and not just legal challenges, but political challenges that are brought on by his own conduct and his own words. And so, no, I, I don't think any of that is definite. You, we're in a time that we never dealt with before. We never had a situation in in our party or in our country where we've had someone who's 
facing a defamation damages trial in two weeks, who's facing um, a, a challenge to his business in, in uh, a decision coming on that, someone who's under four criminal indictments, um, someone who has now been removed uh, by two different states from the, from the ballot, um, and others having challenges to his positioning on the ballot coming. We don't know what's going to happen here. The idea that somehow uh, this is an, in, an algebra equation, this is not. This is finite math. This is an algebra equation from Switzerland. And, and all I know is there are variables that we cannot yet quantify, but we can guess. And it seems to me at this point, given the urgency in the world and the timing of the campaign, that the amount of spectrum left for major changes of the campaign has gone to almost zero, absent a natural event of some sort that I don't wish on anybody, and that therefore, Chris Christie, if if Nikki Haley loses New Hampshire by 5% and you've got 10% or more, you will have elected Donald Trump president. Are you okay with that? Well, first of all, I, I don't think that anyone at this juncture, if, you, if you're going to be a slave to these polls, you... Um, that have happened beforehand. The polls that, if they were right, Hillary Clinton would be in her second term. Um, uh, you know, uh, if you're going to be a slave for that, there's nobody who's within 5% of Donald Trump in any credible poll in New Hampshire at the moment. But you brought up polling first when you said your polls show 15% of your voters would go for Donald I mean, Trump, so you're using That's because you asked. All right, so what do your polls I'm, show? I'm not saying, I'm not what does your that po- is a definite... Uh, I'm not saying that's a definite occurrence. You asked me if I had any reason to believe that any Christie voter would vote for Trump. And so I gave you a statistic that we have. I don't know whether that's accurate or not. All right, uh, true. And I, I love arguing with a prosecutor. Let me reframe the question, uh, <laughs> uh, Mr. Governor Christie. Does your data show that a significant number of Christie voters would vote for Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis if you dropped out? Yes. Okay. Uh, point taken. That's all I want to know. Now I want to know, have you ruled out no labels? I've said that over and over. Yeah, I know, but it's something you said on The View yesterday made me think, huh, now, that View interview was odd, Governor. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I thought you were kind of hedging your bet there. So it leads to this question. If it's Donald Trump Republican nominee against Joe Biden Democratic nominee, who will Chris Christie vote for? Uh, at this point, I wouldn't vote for either one of them. What would you do? I'd vote down ballot. And but then you'd abdicate. I, I mean, Hugh, Hugh, this is not news. I've been saying this from the beginning. I'm the guy who didn't raise my hand on the stage when they asked me if I if you would support him if he was a convicted felon. Yeah, I know, but support. So I, don't, can... I don't understand how we're in. How, I have to tell you the truth, you. I you you have interviewed me probably a hundred times. I've never had a less substantive interview with you in my life. But it's actually the most substantive not, interview. We're down, we're down to the, no, the quarter stretch. This is, this is not news, Hugh. I oh, didn't raise my hand in August. If you that, think you're making news here, then, then you're, you're not paying attention. The premise of the question in August was, if he was a convicted felon, would you vote for him? I don't think he's going to be a convicted felon. Well, By that's the way, your opinion. I know. And so I think the new, what I'm asking you is my premise. If he's not a convicted felon, all right? I don't if he, accept your premise. Uh, if, oh, come on, Governor, that's, you're on redirect here. Uh, if he is the yeah, nominee... And I don't and he's accept not, your premise. 
if he's convicted on appeal, would you vote for him? If he's convicted and on appeal? Yeah. He's convicted. I wouldn't vote for him. All right. Uh, Governor, do you think the Colorado Supreme Court made the right decision? I want I want the voters to turn out Donald Trump. I don't want courts to do it. But that uh, directly, though, they, I think they misread the 14th Amendment, third Article 3 completely. It's without precedent. This is very substantive. Do you agree with me? Donald Trump's conduct is without precedent. Yeah, Absolutely but- without precedent. And so... Um, I think this is ultimately going to be decided by the United States Supreme Court. Um, and, and I will tell you this. Um, the idea, though, that someone needs to be convicted for this to happen, I think, is not something that's required by the, by the, by the Constitution. Do you think um, Article certainly... 3 of the 14th Amendment is self-executing? Yes. Oh, we disagree. Do you think it was appropriate for the main Secretary of State unilaterally to remove Donald Trump from the ba- ballot in Maine. If I'm uneasy with courts doing it, I'm certainly uneasy with a, a Secretary of State doing it on his or her own. And if for any reason the former president is exonerated by the Supreme Court on the virtue of immunity or because of the vagueness of Jack Smith's challenges or the other prosecutions falling apart, and he is an unconvicted nominee of the Republican Party, will you vote for him? Hugh. I have said over and over again that he's unfit to be president of the United States. So under no circumstances. I've I've said this. He's unfit to be president of the United States based upon his conduct. And and if you're unsure about that, all you have to do is listen to his interviews with you. Well, I love interviews with you tell me that he is completely unfit to be president of the United States. Do you think Governor DeSantis and Governor Haley are fit to be president of the United States? Yes. Okay, so if one of them is the nominee, you will support them? Absolutely. Governor Christie, thank you. When are you going to tell us what the final decision is on whether you're staying in New Hampshire or not? I don't even understand your question. Everybody is waiting for you to drop out. I talk to Republicans across the country. I'm Switzerland. Everyone talks to me. They all think you're going to drop out. Well, good for them. Are they wrong? Am I here? Well, you are. Not the answer. This is not the view. I'm not. Am I going to New Hampshire this morning and and doing town hall tonight in Hollis, New Hampshire? The answer is yes. All right. Joy Behar, you you, you pulled a joy on me, Governor, but it's good. Keep coming back. Where are you going to be tonight in New Hampshire? Hollis, New Hampshire tonight. All right. We're on in New Hampshire. People will be there to see Governor Chris Christie. Thank you, Governor, as always. Keep coming back. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Stay tuned. Uh, Dwayne's been hanging around the show since we started in July 10 of 2000. Luckily, Adam came along a week later, and he's been running the show for, since then. But Dwayne hangs around. He is the, quote, senior producer of the Hugh Hewitt Show. He has a podcast on the universe, which you have to join. He writes for Town Hall, and he annoys me. But he has a sponsor, MyPhDWeightLoss.com, because there used to be Large Dwayne, and now there's Little Dwayne. Large Dwayne... Solid Dwayne was 50 pounds bigger than the Dwayne you see. Chunky Dwayne, fluffy Dwayne. So, okay, fluffy. Tell people about MyPhDWeightLoss.com. It uh, is a program that is largely protein-based. You get a nutritionist that is assigned to you. There's accountability to it. And you learn how foods work on you. It's, there's no pills. There's no weird things. It's, it's just diet. It's just learning how food works and being disciplined about it. And 
I lost 50 pounds in 12 weeks. Kept it off for a little over, yeah, about almost a year and a half, actually. Yeah, right up to today. I don't want people to think this is, this is fluffy, Dwayne. No. This is not fluffy, Dwayne. This is skinny, Dwayne. Yes. We're just going to call you fluffy. But people that want to uh, go to myphdweightloss.com need to call 864-644-1900. That's 864-644-1900. And that is Dwayne. Thank you, Dwayne. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Dan Poneman has been my friend for 45 years. He retired on January 1st of this year as president and CEO of Centris Energy. Before that, he was deputy secretary of energy under President Obama. He was a partner with Brent Scowcroft in the national security business. He served two presidents, Clinton and H.W. on the National Security Council. He went to Oxford. He went to Harvard. He went to Harvard Law. He's a smart guy. And now he's retired. So I'm very, very jealous. But before I let him get away... I asked him to come on this show as a Democrat to talk to Republicans and the Democrats who are listening about why we need nuclear energy and why we have to enrich our own high enrichment uranium. Good morning, Dan. Welcome back. Good morning, Hugh. It's great to be with you. Congratulations. You're retired. What are you doing differently? You're up earlier than you normally are. Well, I had to do that to, to match your uh, incredible schedule, Hugh. No, I, I'm going to Africa. Uh, And I'm thinking about what's next. Tell us, tell the audience, we've got maybe 15 minutes on the air. You're the most credible Democrat in the world on nuclear energy. Why do we need it? Okay, first, modest uh, correction. I'm independent, uh, but uh, uh, I've worked for both Republicans and Democrats, as you know. Why do you need it? Well, you need it for a bunch of reasons. Number one, our planet is burning up. And we have to get to net zero. We have to get to net zero by 2050. And the only way you get there, if you threw all the wind, solar, electrical vehicles, everything, you're going to still fall way, way short unless you have a tripling of nuclear power across the world. And we got to get started today. And if we don't get started today, we're just going to blow right past 1.5 degrees. We're already in that direction already. Is nuclear power now safe? Yes, it's incredibly safe. If you look at all the statistics, how many people die per megawatt hour generated, nuclear is way, 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 way at the bottom. People don't realize this. It's a tragedy what happened in Fukushima. We lost 18,000 souls uh, in that crisis. That was the tsunami. That was the earthquake. There was only so far one radiation death from Fukushima, right? And uh, nobody uh, died in Three Mile Island. Uh, Chernobyl was a different story. They had a cover up. They lost several thousand people. But when you look at the people who die every year from coal related and other uh, fossil fuel related activities, it's uh, it's shattering. 
And so nuclear, nuclear power, power is safe. Affordable. Uh, once they're up and running, the answer is yes, they can run very smoothly, efficiently, economically. Uh, we have had challenges because the supply chain has gotten atrophied in the years that we were not building because of the political backlash after Fukushima. But we're getting better and we have to continue to improve. It's, I think, incumbent on the industry to satisfy the needs of the world to really focus on project management and excellence. Let me give you just one example. In uh, the United Arab Emirates, they started a program from scratch, uh, and this is over a decade ago. They have now built four reactors. Each reactor was built faster and more economically than the one before. So practice makes perfect, and when we get back up to the levels of construction that uh, we need to to reach that uh, tripling of nuclear power, I have every confidence that nuclear power can execute but the industry really owes it to itself and to all of our ratepayers and to the world to really focus on project management. What is the People's Republic of China's policy position on nuclear energy, both in China and abroad? Well, in China, they are the biggest producer, as you know, uh, of uh, new reactors. They're going to uh, overtake the United States, which is still the leading country in terms of installed nuclear power. They're building them very rapidly. By the way, that's a place where you see that when you build more reactors, you build them more efficiently. Externally, they have a policy that won't surprise you, Hugh, uh, of a very aggressive uh, way of trying to engage other countries, understanding, as Russia understands, that when you enter into a nuclear relationship, it's a 100-year relationship. It's not just about power. It's not just about money. It's about all that. But it's about geostrategic leverage. And if we learn anything in the last several years, it should be that we should not cede the field to Russia and China when it comes to propagating nuclear power all over the world, not only because of geostrategic leverage, but because of the safety standards, because of the nonproliferation standards that we want to have with U.S. flags, not Chinese and Russian flags. Now, I want to use that as my transition to why we need to do a particular part of the nuclear cycle immediately, which is highly enriched uranium. That's what you did until January 1. You tried to get this country back in the business of highly enriched nuclear uranium. Why do we need it? Okay, uh, there's a slight word change there. Uh, uh, yeah, I screwed it up. Really right. No, it's okay. Highly enriched uranium makes bombs. That's like 90% purity. Low enriched uranium, which you're familiar with all over the world, that's like 4 or 5% purity. So we make something called high assay, low enriched uranium. It's still low, the legal limit being 20%. Why? Here's why. When you want to really... Uh, have your car perform well, you use 93 octane instead of 87. Well, if you're Bill Gates or if you're one of these advanced reactor developers and you want high-performance reactors, those small modular reactors with inherently safe features that can do all sorts of things, including potentially burn up transuranic waste and, and fuel forms and so forth, you want to get higher octane but not make bombs. So the way you get there is you go all the way up to the line of 20% we made in centrists, 19.75%, and 9 out of 10 reactors that were selected by the U.S. Department of Energy to support in a very well-funded advanced reactor development program require that special kind of high assay low enriched uranium. The uh, United States is now the only country outside of Russia producing it. The country I once, the company I led, Centris, is doing that, and uh, Centris has the only nuclear regulatory commission license to produce that very special product. What do we use it in? I know the answer to this, but I want people to hear the answer. What do we use that helo in? Okay. The 
only application today for this high assay, low enrich uranium or HALU is in research reactors. And there are many of them all over the world. There's a nonproliferation program the United States Department of Energy runs that switches that bomb grade high enriched uranium out and puts HALU, high assay LU, in. But the next generation of reactors, we will use it in the gas cooled reactors like X Energy, the uh, uh, liquid uh, sodium cooled reactors like Oklo and like TerraPower. All of these advanced reactors are going to need that special kind of HALU. Now, not uh, at the beginning of this hour, Chris Christie was on. At the last Republican debate, Chris Christie accurately answered my question about what kind of ships we need to build. We need to build nuclear submarines, attack and ballistic, and they have to run on nuclear fuel. What kind of fuel is that, Dan Poneman? Okay, so that fuel, Hugh, is high enriched uranium, that same 90% purity uranium-235. That's what U.S. submarines use. However, if you wanted to de-risk investment in HALU, which is this very exciting fuel for a market that isn't quite there, you can make 19.75% and store it and use that as feedstock to make 90% just to backstop investment in this more exciting but still uh, developing market of advanced reactors. Now, I set it up this way, Dan, so I can illustrate what I hope I'm correct about. We have a stockpile of what we need to run our nuclear submarines on, and we're drawing it down to make the stuff that we need to run the new reactors, which means we're, we're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Am I right? Uh, almost. What's happening is there's a huge stockpile that the United States built up over the whole Cold War period of this high enriched uranium. What they are actually blending it down for mainly, Hugh, is to make uh, what's called unobligated low-enriched uranium, which in turn is used to make uh, tritium. And tritium is uh, needed to replenish the reservoirs in the actual nuclear weapons that enhances their performance. So we have, in fact, been robbing Peter to pay Paul, as you say. Mainly, that has been for the purpose of our deterrent and our actual stockpile of weapons. There is a lot of pressure from the advanced reactor community, however, to turn that blend-down material to the purpose that you have just indicated, which be to use it to support these new advanced reactors. Now, what kind of industrial base does the United States have to meet the demands of clean uh, energy that will power the future, protect us, and not cause proliferation? Do we have the industrial base we need? We have an industrial base. It has been getting better. The whole long process that went into building Project Vogel down there in Georgia helped restore and recover that industrial base. To be very candid, the 30 years we were not building reactors, we lost supply chain, we lost uh, suppliers, we lost people with the ability to make that very high precision, uh, highly qualified nuclear materials, and the workforce to support it. It's coming back. The real problem, Hugh, is the supply chain is completely broken when it comes to nuclear fuel. And if we've learned anything out of the Ukraine war, it's that you can't allow your supply chain to be broken when it comes to fueling 20 percent of the power that comes in the United States is from nuclear. So uh, at this point, we do not have a homegrown ability to enrich uranium, which is important not only for energy, but as you indicated a few minutes ago, we need domestic enrichment with U.S. technology 
to support the nuclear weapons program and to support naval reactors. And Centris, the uh, company I once led, is the only U.S. company with U.S. technology legally available to support those missions. We need to restore that enrichment capability. One last thing on this. When we were not paying attention and allowed our leadership to go away, basically Russia replaced the United States. Russia has 44% of the world's capacity to enrich uranium. China has another 10%. So over half of the world's enrichment capacity is in the hands of Russia and China. We simply have to break that monopoly. But we on it, we got to break it carefully. And we're going to go to break here, but I want to make people understand. We don't want to break the contracts with Russia, do we? Well, here's the problem, and you understand this very well. Russia, before the war, signed massive long-term contracts at like $50, which was the price for enrichment. If you broke all those $50 contracts today, Putin would be the happiest kid on the block. He's going to turn around. The prices, because of the Ukraine war, spiked up to $150. he will turn around and sell it to may- maybe for $120, who knows what, to uh, somebody else, some third party. It's going to come back to the United States at 180 and they're going to have a huge windfall profit. So if we do something, we do want to wean off of Russian uh, enrichment for sure, but we got to do it smart, and we have to replace the uh, fuel that we now get from them with our own domestic production. So you know the phrase smart sanctions. Uh, we do need to wean from Russia as soon as humanly possible, but we got to do it smart so we don't inadvertently hurt ourselves and, and help them. When I come back with Dan Poneman, two questions. What do we do about Iran or what is Iran going to do about uranium? And what does the United States Congress do next if we want to be secure in our energy supply for the next 100 years? Stay tuned, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Dan Poneman, recently retired as CEO of Centris Energy, former Deputy Secretary of Energy for President Obama, joins me. Dan, during the break, I got a text from a very good friend, a nuclear guy, a, a navalist, a smart guy. There's only about 2,000 people who can understand the interview with Dan Poneman, he writes, but it is an important conversation. We got to do better. We have to explain to people why this matters. So take it away, Dan. Oh, you're on mute. Well, look, uh, you're good. I'm on mute. No, you're good now. Oh, good. All right. No, no, it's uh, it's the thing that keeps me going every single day. You know, you said the word that makes me cringe this morning, which is retirement. It's not retirement. It's rewirement. Right. Yes. Uh, and I'm going to be out there talking about these these challenges. And here's the thing. I wrote this in my book, which is behind me somewhere uh, about nuclear energy. People across the spectrum can agree on what to do, even if they don't agree on why. If you don't care about climate change, but you care about national security, you want the United States to be back enriching uranium. You want to have nuclear power in the world. If you care about climate change, don't really care about national security, you still want nuclear. So this is one of the rare issues, Hugh, where across the aisle, both sides of uh, Capitol Hill, the Senate and the House of Representatives, both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue, Everyone agrees we need to do this and we need to do it fast and we need to do it big. What does Congress need to do? Well, this is very important. Actually, there's three things that Congress needs to do, and they're making progress in all three. This is an extraordinary thing, given the politics uh, of the moment, as you know. Number one, they have to authorize a program, right? And uh, in the authorization space, they just sent to the president in the National Defense Authorization Act what's called, Hugh, the Nuclear Fuel Security Act. Now, think about this. This act, which supply, which supports the advancement of U.S. enrichment, 
passed the Senate by a vote of 96 to 3. You couldn't get that kind of vote to say that the sun rises in the east. Right. So that's the first building block. The second thing is on appropriations. So the House of Representatives, which really was spearheaded by somebody you recently had on your show, a tremendous uh, uh, leader in this area, Chuck Fleischman, congressman from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, that first bill passed uh, the floor of the House after Johnson became speaker was the energy and water appropriations with $2.4 billion for enrichment. And now in the Senate, President Biden finally had submitted a supplemental request that included $2.2 billion for enrichment. Now I'm told that that number has perhaps gotten even higher in the U.S. Senate and that uh, we could have an appropriations discussion that's north of $2 billion between the House and the Senate. The appropriations piece, that's the second piece. The third piece is what you were talking about just before the break. We do need to get a Russian sanction in that uh, regulates the winding down of those imports to enable the U.S. to replace it with our own production. And so those are the three pieces that are in play. One of them is already, already through the president's desk and signed into law. How does the third one happen? Who controls the third one about modifying the Russian sanction regime so we neither reward Russia nor hurt ourselves? Well, there's separate legislation, Hugh, and there's all kinds of parliamentary issues, which committees have jurisdiction and so forth. But there is legislation that has been working its way through both houses of Congress that would do that. And, uh, the you know, the version of it that I saw has a wind down period that would extend out to 2028. And, and it's that kind of timeline that will be required, because I think everybody recognizes that, unfortunately, it's, it's not like uh, oil production or even gas production where you can more or less snap your fingers and ramp up. It takes several years to build a plant. It's just a fact. And uh, so people understand that. And I think people are accommodating that in the draft legislation. OK, my two questions. We have two minutes. Are you worried about what Iran is doing? Of course. I mean, it's it's terribly concerning. You just saw they've tripled their production of uh, 60 percent enriched uranium. Uh, as we talked about earlier in your show, 90 percent is bomb grade. Uh, and at the same time, they've switched off uh, so much of the monitoring. Uh, the outstanding leadership of uh, Rafael Grossi at the IAEA can't help you if they don't let the inspectors in, if they don't have the cameras on and so forth. So it's deeply worrying. Second question and the exit question. If you are concerned about global warming, if you're one of my listeners who actually believes it's a menace, can it be fixed without nuclear power? No. You just can't. Uh, it's, as uh, another boss of mine, Ernie Moniz, likes to say, it ain't math, it's arithmetic. There, you look at any chart, you talk to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, you look at the reports of the International Energy Agency. These are scientifically credible studies, MIT all agree that without a significant, at least doubling and probably tripling of nuclear power, there's no way you're going to uh, address the climate change effectively. That's where I want to end it. Dan Poneman, congratulations on rewirement. Enjoy Africa. I'll talk to you when you get back, and hopefully the Congress is listening this morning. Thank you, Dan Poneman. Honestly, folks, if someone talks to you about global warming and they're not then talking to you about nuclear energy, they're not serious about global warming. Uh, the audio and transcript of uh, I interviewed this morning with Governor Christie is now posted. Fair to say he's mad at me, but that's okay. Uh, people get mad at me in my business. Thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow, America, on the next Hugh Hewitt Show. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.